we'll use the lens today of problem, solution, and action. The problem today is that there's evil in the world. And in today's lens, we'll focus on slavery. When I first heard that stat, that slavery still exists today, I kind of nodded like, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. Slavery still exists today. And then this kid that I was walking around in a mall, he was just accosting me with this information. No, 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 slavery still exists today. I, I, I get it, kid, thanks. <laughs> no, no, there are more slaves today than there have ever been at any point in history ever. It still exists today. And the church is silent. It's understandable why the middle school and high school and college students have problems making connection, because they know this. They know that there are over 45, that's a typo, there's 45 million people who are held in all sorts of slavery today. Labor, slavery, land grab slavery, sex trafficking slavery. One in four of these slaves is a child underneath the age of 11. And human trafficking generates $150 billion a year. Let's put some reality to these numbers. 40 million people. That is the entire population of Greece, Portugal, Sweden, and Hungary combined. And those are mid-sized nations. $150 billion a year in profit. What are some, well, okay. How many of you would like to own Apple? What about Samsung? JP Morgan? Bank of America? Fortune 500 top five companies not collectively making $150 billion. Slave trafficking is the biggest profit company that exists today. Let's take it from the 40,000-foot view down to right here. I want to introduce you to a girl named Cassie. Cassie's from the Philippines. Her family is very poor. And so as it happens, she met in her little village a recruiter from Manila, the big city. And the recruiter had a job for Cassie and her family was thrilled that he would choose her from among all the other students in the village. She would get to go to Manila, she would get to live in the big city, she would get to have a job, she would be able to send money back to her family, to her village, she would be able to be the rescuer. She would get to live a life that she'd always dreamed of. But you know that that was not the way it turned out. Cassie was AJ's latest addition to his cyber sex trafficking operation out of his home. There were five other children already there. One of them was a five-year-old boy, and the other was a three-month-old baby girl. He would rape 
the children, film the abuse, and broadcast it online. And he offered live events for customers all over the world, including the US. This is her story. It's really hard. It's like I, I was thinking I want to I want to die. I want to die because of this pain, but I can't. When first time uh, Mary Cooter telling me that oh, Manila is very nice, he said so I can wear a nice clothes, and then he taking care of me. He told me that he can help me to reach my, all my dreams. First time in Manila, it was very happy because there's a lot of building. You wear nice clothes, you have your own money, you can stay in a nice house. So Manila is very nice compared to my place. We are six big teams inside of the house of my recruiter. My recruiter hurt me every day when I do something bad that he don't like because he want every day, he want, I need to follow him. But if I don't follow him, um, he's going to hurt me, just punk me, slap me in the face in front of the people. I really want to kill him. I really want to die that time, but I can't. It's feel very lonely for me because I was very far from my family and I can't tell them what happened to me because I was very scared. Take a minute or two and turn to your neighbor and just talk about what you saw, what you heard, what are your reactions. If you're one of those who are like me, an introvert, and you just want to think about that, just wave your neighbor off, that's fine. But take 30 seconds to a minute and just talk about that with your neighbor. Another 15 seconds. You remember the problem we started out with. Where is God in all of this? As in all things, let us turn to the Word. Today I'll be teaching out of um, Isaiah 58. This is a brutal passage. It goes from the very beginning. 
Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, and shout aloud, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day, and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. Ouch. This isn't God speaking of his enemies. This isn't God speaking of those who ignore him or even those who would claim that he doesn't exist. This is a passage from God to his people. This is God talking to us. Jonathan, that's not quite accurate, is it? Yes, yes, it's not quite accurate. This is speaking of those, it would seem, like those who, what we call today, those who do church. Those who engage in the rituals of our faith, the practices of our faith, without engaging the heart of our God. He continues. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, God, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, God responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? I'm a youth pastor. I mean, it's part of my job. It's part of my calling. It's part of my passion to teach students the beginning, the opening steps of spiritual disciplines. Often we say about middle school, middle school ministry is a lot like every kid's got a suitcase and you just shove stuff in there. And then they will unpack it through high school and college and young adult years. They're not going to understand it. In middle, just, just put it in there. And yet we can sort of understand why then our students sometimes do church. Why our students sometimes go to small group, go to retreat, go to camp. I had students once in a, in a church, they were just high out of their minds. <laughs> and it was so obvious. And when I gently pulled them aside afterward and tried to talk about it, but like, but dude, we're here. That counts, right? I'm like, well, how do you answer that? You're stoned out of your mind, and yet you think, like, I, there's, uh, who's keeping score? What are we, what are you trying to do? Inevitably, no matter how well I think I've taught the disciplines, I always get a few students a couple weeks later who come back and complain to me. 
Jonathan, I did exactly what you told me to do. I prayed, I read the Bible, and it didn't happen. Tell me more. What happened? What were you? I prayed, and I read the Bible, and he didn't give it to me. You said God answers prayer, so I prayed, and I read my Bible, and she still doesn't want to be my girlfriend. (laughs) Have you tried talking to her? No! I prayed, I read the Bible. Jonathan, I prayed, I read the Bible, and I didn't get the A. Did you study? No, that's not, you didn't tell me to do that. They've inadvertently treated the disciplines like magical bargaining chips. If this, then this. This does seem to describe the church in America, right? If we put in our time, if we're generally good people, well, then God must be pleased with us. And yet you get this passage that just seems like God is upset. There is nothing wrong with spiritual disciplines. They are good disciplines. We promote all of them all of the time. But today is about where your heart is. Do we care about what God cares about? What does God care about? The passage continues. In verse 6 of Isaiah 58, this is the kind of fasting I want, says God. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need help. No doubt my students will say, wait a minute, Jonathan. I see the fast one you're trying to pull here. You know, I'm supposed to do things like fast and pray and read the Bible. And then here I'm supposed to like do other things. So like it's kind of like the same thing, right? I'm just doing stuff. What's the difference between the two lists? You'll notice it doesn't mention at all how many times we should go to church, how many missions trips we should go on, how many small groups you should lead, how many classes you should teach. One list, it would seem, the spiritual disciplines, would seem to benefit us. Everything we do in this building, everything we do together, would seem to be to nourish and enrich us. There's a thing I like to do with students. It's called the 30-hour famine. It's about teaching them about global hunger and poverty and God's heart. And so I always have students who are like, oh, I'm going to do it, Jonathan. I'm going to do it. I'm going to fast with you. I'm going to fast for 30 hours. And they fast for 30 hours. And at the end of it, which is really hard for a kid, by the way, it's hard for some of us to fast. I like to do it over a lock-in so that they're all here playing, getting sweaty, hungry, and thirsty. Like, ha ha, no food for you. You're fasting. Um, I'm just evil. I'm a youth pastor. And they'll fast, and they'll be so proud of themselves. And I'll say, okay, now turn in all the money you raised. And they're like, wait, money? What? 
Okay, so you fasted. How did that help someone else who was hungry? I don't know. Yeah, okay, next year. Maybe next year we'll fundraise and fast at the same time. One list benefits us. God's list and Isaiah would seem to want for us to be out there benefiting others. And this word in verse 6, this is the kind of fasting I want. I did all sorts of deep dive research on this word fasting. I was looking for nuance. I was looking for intricate Hebrew terminology. I was looking for something, and it's just plain fasting. It is what you think it is. This is the weirdest fast I've ever heard of. Free those. Let the oppressed go free. Share your food. Give clothes. What in the world kind of fast is God like changing the word, changing the definition of fast? Or is God really sometimes sneaky? (laughs) And in doing this and pursuing his heart, we're fasting from selfishness. We're fasting from egocentrism. Fasting from our own idleness, our own laziness, our own indulgences. We're fasting from sin. And the passage goes on with even more rewards from God. Should we pursue his heart? It goes on, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. I couldn't find that phrase in many other passages where God quickly replies. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. And some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. You will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. I've been teaching justice to students for a long time, and I never really understood that last phrase. I used to make a little joke out of it, like, that'd be like the weirdest thing to have on your tombstone. Like, what did he do? He rebuilt walls and he restored homes. Like, why would you want that on your tombstone? Why is that such like a a noble thing? Until you think of Cassie's story and what it would mean to help her rebuild her walls and what it would mean to restore her sense of home and her family and that village. So, we have problem, there's evil in the world, slavery still exists, where is God? Solution from Isaiah. It would seem like God is saying, I 
am in the church, and my church is in the world, and my church needs to be out there. We are his people. We are their cry. We are the answer to their cries. And so we need to get into this. We need to join the fight to protect the most vulnerable among us. So I will ask you this. Will you join this fight for justice? Will you come to the assistance of those 45 million who are screaming and crying and asking for where is God? Will you meet the answer of all the students of this generation who are saying, what use is the church? Where is God? Others have. Others have joined that fight. And here's what happened. We are six victims inside of the house of Marie Curer. Marie Curer hurt me every day when I do something bad that he doesn't like because he wants every day, he want, I need to follow him. But if I don't follow him, um, he's going to hurt me, just punk me, slap me in the face in front of the people. I really want to kill him. I really want to die that time, but I can't. It feels very lonely for me because I was very far from my family and I can't tell them what happened to me because I was very scared. When they rescued us, it made me heal all the pain. It is in my second home I realized everything you don't need to lose hope. If I see or if I hear or there is a victim of human trafficking like us, I just want her to comfort her, help her to move forward and just fight for your rights. Because that's the start where, um, where I stand now. God. He's there. We sang a song earlier. We want to be where he is. We know where Jesus walking the earth. Most likely he would not be in this room right now with us on Sunday morning. He'd be out there somewhere. You should still come to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> but there must be more that we can do. All of this month, churches across the nation, across the world really, are doing this thing called Freedom Sunday. We're exploring justice, we're trying to raise the cause of awareness, we're trying to wake up the sleeping giant that is the church. And it's all being sponsored by an organization called the International Justice Mission. 
our slavery's end. Each morning we rise, wide awake and filled with purpose. We fight fearlessly in the name of justice because we believe in a better world and a God who moves us to make it so. We are the church beyond a building or a day of the week, relentlessly defending freedom. Not for some distant future, but for today. So that this may be the last generation to be owned, sold, or ignored in their suffering. And though we may be free, we are tied to those still held in bondage. And we will not go away until lives, communities, and nations are transformed, until all countries protect all of their citizens. So, each day we rise again, knowing we are slavery's end. And we will never be free. free. I don't know that I have taught my students over the past decades anything so significant as this. This topic is where my students usually grab hold. So much so that two of those videos and that montage of faces Two of them are my students who so bought in to God's heart, they said that this is what my life needs to be about. And they pursued it through college, and they pursued it and found a place with IJM. Um, with students, we call it becoming advocate awareness, justice advocates. They, their job is to spread awareness. and so. I was working in a church, and I was doing this series, and a couple of my middle school boys said, Jonathan, we really want to help. We really want to do this, but we don't know what to do. I said, well, what are you good at? Like, oh, we play volleyball. Well, then figure out a way to do that. And they looked at me, looked at each other. They're like, it's on. And they went away, and they did something. And these two guys, a couple weeks later, came back with a video and said, Jonathan, we did it. We totally did it. Will you play this video? in front of the youth group, and I was young then, and I didn't preview the video, and so I said yes. And I showed this video to the youth group, and these two guys, when they said we played volleyball, I kind of thought they meant with a team. I kind of thought in my head they would do something like a school fundraiser or something, but these two guys had a video of them the video is clearly sitting on their porch, and these two guys are in the yard, and they're playing volleyball with each other, just the two of them, which looks a lot like chasing a ball. 
And they have a little sign in their yard on the street that says, honk if you're against slavery. And so we're watching this video, and a car drives by, ha, ha, and like, yay. And you watch three or four more minutes of them just Like 20 minutes, three cars, and we're watching this in front of the youth group, and I'm t- the older kids are like, please, just do something. It's like, guys, you are justice advocates. You have spread awareness. And the next week, this little girl and her mom came up to me, and they said, we have a plan. We don't know if it's going to work, but we want to share this with you. A little middle school girl. And she was going to invite her friends to a movie night. And they were going to watch a Disney movie. She had her script all laid out, little index cards. Thank you for watching Tangled. Did you like the movie? And all her little friends would say, yay. Do we approve of young girls being kept as slaves in a tree? (laughs) If you disagree with this, well, I have a little thing. And she went on to give this little presentation. Come back next week. We're going to watch Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) She was a justice advocate. But we as adults, we know this is on us. We know that this is something we could end in our lifetime. I love that first line of that video. We are slavery's end. So here's the solution, here's the action. The problem is that there is evil in the world. The solution is that God is sending us. We must, as an action step, join in this fight. What we are proposing for Freedom Sunday is that you become a freedom partner. It's $24 a month, and becoming a freedom partner means you become one of the most faithful and loyal supporters of the fight against injustice. The youth group is a freedom partner. And over the past year, they've been fighting hard. There's this little silver box downstairs that we take offering in every, every, every week and occasionally a kid will drop in some money and, and they've been forced to try to find creative ways to try to make $24 a month, but we've done it every month this year. Pathways, our students have led the way. Will you answer and become a freedom partner. You can rescue those who are trapped in slavery. You can protect the most vulnerable among us. You can prosecute the oppressors. And you can provide restorative care for all those children who've experienced trauma. And when you transform that little girl's life, and you transform her family, when you transform that village and you transform that nation. And by the way, there is true and real stats I would love to give you. I'll be standing out at that table and I wanna tell you about the Philippines and the amazing work that God has done there. He has changed the face of a nation because of what churches and Christians and followers like us have done. Will you join in the fight? Pick up one of these registration guides at the table outside. Go online right now. 
ijm.org slash fp for freedom partner and sign up. Students, I know a bunch of you have jobs. It's $24 a month. You can do this. Maybe you and your sibling can do this. Definitely you and your family might think about this. We can end slavery in our lifetime. The heart of a disciple cares about what God cares about. And he is clearly, undeniably sending us.